0: some sermons are, are easier to preach than others. Um, I said it because this morning I think is, is a harder one. <laughs> um, and I was thinking of, of why, why I felt that way or why it was hard for me to go through this passage. And I think, I think the reason is because when, I, when I'm preaching to you, I, I need to be preaching to myself too. And what I'm preaching on today is something that I, I personally struggle with. And so I think I, I need to repent before you and before God that where I'm struggling with this issue, I need to be transformed by, in Christ just as much as anyone else does. And so this morning when I'm, I'm preaching to you, know that I'm not pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers at myself, if anybody, because we all need the grace of God. Um, we're going to talk about our rights this morning. We're, we're in 1 Corinthians 9. One thing I, I love about uh, this church, Hilltop Wesleyan Church, The only thing that I really appreciate about Pastor Scott is that uh, in our Bible studies here and at Martin's Grove, we go through the books of the Bible, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, (laughs) I remember we went through Revelations, Revelation, and it took uh, a long time, but we went, we read every chapter and every verse in Revelation, and we talked about every chapter and every verse, and it was tedious, and took a long time, but... And thank God, it was it was really helpful for me, and I think it was helpful for a lot of people. Pastor Scott is still ta- still talking about it. And that's because when you go through a verse-by-verse verse like Scott does, it, it stops you from dodging the difficult passages or shimmying away from stuff that uh, is uncomfortable that you don't want to talk about. And if I had the option, I would I would skip uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because I, I think it's a difficult passage. For for pastors to preach and also for people just to apply to their lives. Um, The topic is rights. Uh, A a Christian's right. And when I was, like, studying for this message, I looked up, so Merriam-Webster's dictionary for the definition for right, like R-I-G-H-T, right. Not right and wrong, but a noun, like I have a right. The definition is a moral or legal entitlement to have or obtain something or, or to act in a certain way. So uh, every, hu- every living human being, if you're a zombie, I guess this doesn't apply to you, but if you're a living human being, uh, you have the right to clean water. So a right means that you deserve it, that you, you are owed this thing. It doesn't mean you always get it. So <laughs> uh, everyone around the world doesn't have clean water, but it's something that they deserve, something that should be owed to them. So that's a a human right. Uh, We we are, I think everyone in this room is is American, if if you aren't, that's cool too. But if you're an American citizen, you have extra rights. So you have rights for being a human being, but you also have rights just for being born in America. Uh, These are found in our Constitution by our founding fathers. Uh, The first 10 are called the Bill of Rights. And I'm not going to go through all the (laughs) the rights in the Constitution, but the First Amendment is the most famous, and I'll go through a few of those. Uh, The First Amendment, if if you're American, gives you the right to the the freedom of speech. So I can stand up here this morning and say whatever I like, and not face like retribution from the government because I have the freedom of speech as an American citizen. Freedom of press. So not only can I like speak out loud what I'm thinking, I can also like write it down and distribute it to the mass population because we have the freedom of press. Um, The the right to peaceably assemble peaceably assemble, so uh, rioting is not a right we have as American citizens. Uh, forming a lynch mob together, going and like hanging somebody, that, that's not a right we have as an American. We have a right to peaceably assemble, which is what we're doing this morning. Hopefully, it stays peaceful. <laughs> um, the second last one, we have, this is pretty interesting just as Americans, we have the right to petition for redress of grievances. So our government gives us the right to go back to the government and say, like, eh, we don't like what you're doing and we're going to actively like, make you change that. That's a unique right for the American citizen. Um, especially when it was, like, when that was written down. Maybe not so much anymore, but that is what defines a lot of us as Americans. And the last one in the, the First Amendment is the freedom of religion, which uh, I, as a Christian, I, I hope you understand the importance of our freedom to practice religion without persecution from the government if not from individuals. So those are our, we talked about human rights. We, some of it, we all have human rights, because just because we're human. We also have American rights, just because we're American. Just because you were born on American soil, you are now granted the rights of an American. But did you know that you also have rights as a Christian? So the Bible actually uh, lists out some rights that you have just for following Jesus Christ, we talked about one of them uh, last Sunday. Pastor Scott mentioned that, um, well, Paul's going through a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians 8, he's, it's a, an introduction into 8, 9, and 10. It's a whole argument Paul's laying out about Christians' right. And Paul is addressing in 1 Corinthians 8 what Scott went over last Sunday. I'm going to rehash it just really quick because it's relevant <laughs> to what we're going to talk about today. Um, the church in Corinth is writing to Paul and an argument has broken out, and some of the church members, we'll say on this side, are saying that as a Christian, I have the right to eat whatever food I would like. So I can eat meat, obviously, there's no question about that, but I can also eat meat sacrificed to an idol, because like, if, if you want to use your head, God gave us a head for a reason, so we can rationalize what the word of God says, and what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to live that out as Christians. They said correctly that, Food sacrificed to idols is the same as food not sacrificed to idols because in the end of the day, an idol is just a fake, false, man-made thing. So a pizza dedicated to Zeus and a regular piece of pizza are the exact same because Zeus isn't real. And they're saying if we're Christians and we serve the one true living God, then we can eat whatever meat we like because God has made all things and all things are good. And so if we're doing it for the nourishment of our bodies, there's no problem. The other side of the church... Uh, is arguing, yes, there's only one true God. That's not in question. But <laughs> we were once pagans. We were the ones that used to go into the temple courts, and we were sacrificing the meat to, to Zeus and to these other idols. So yeah, we agree with you guys that there's only one true living God, but it's a sin to go back to idolatry and to eat the meat sacrificed to idols. That's, that's just it's morally wrong. You're sinning against God if you do that. There's a few issues in the Bible uh, like this that are brought up, and there is not a clear-cut answer. And I think the, the, the point of that and the advantage of that is that instead of just being legalistic and having, like, rules like, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, you have to have a walk with Christ, like Roy was talking about, and you have to, like, work that out in your own life and make sure that, um, that you're doing what God wants for you. But on this issue, Paul actually, like, takes a side. He says, They're right and, like, they're wrong. And he actually points to the Christians that said, I'm free as a Christian to eat whatever meat I want. And Paul says, you're right. As a Christian, you have the right to eat whatever you like. Uh, In Judaism, they have um, kosher kosher food. So if you're a practicing Jew, I mean, as a human, you can eat whatever you like. But if you're a practicing Jew, you do not have the right to eat whatever you like because there's clean and unclean food. All right, and it's not unique to um, Judaism and Islam. It's not called uh, kosher. But they have certain foods that they are allowed to eat and certain foods they aren't allowed to eat. And So you can see how it's, it's still even a relevant issue today. Um, <laughs> but um, as Christians, if we, we, if we have human rights and we have rights as Americans, um, we have Christian rights, the Christian rights should be the most important. Uh, I don't think I should have to spell it out to you, but there's a, a true living God and he says that we are owed something or that there's something that we deserve, I'm going to take that more seriously than what the United States government says I deserve or what some other random person says I deserve because we hold uh, God's standards higher than human standards. So that's why um, it's important for us to realize before we jump into 1 Corinthians 9 that you have rights as a Christian. That's, that's vitally important to understand. That being said, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. <laughs> this is a hard one. Okay, Paul writes, um, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? This is Paul writing about himself. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Uh, I'm just going to clarify verse 2. Some people twist verse 2, and they go really weird ways with it. Pa- Paul is an apostle. Like, we, we don't have any reason to doubt that. When he says he's not an apostle to some, he means that there are some Christians like in the world where, when Paul was still alive. They have never heard of Paul. Uh, they have never read one of Paul's letters, but they're still Christians. So they could have, they would, they could have reasons to doubt Paul's apostleship. But the church in Corinth, Paul founded that church. Like Paul was the one that went to them as pagans and converted them to Christianity. He's their spiritual father in some sense. And he's the one that is building up the church in Corinth. So the Corinthians don't have any reason to doubt Paul because if they do, then their whole faith is is in shambles. So verse two doesn't mean that Paul isn't an apostle. It just means Paul, the church in Corinth doesn't have any reason to doubt Paul pretty much. Verse three, okay. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Now he's talking about the rights of apostles or ministers. Don't we, don't apostles have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, their name mean, for Peter and Peter? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Verse 7 Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends the flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law, the law of Moses, say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this is written for us because whoever plows and thrushes should should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Okay, I'm gonna pause right there because that's a lot, a lot to take in. We already know in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul's addressing the Christians in Corinth's right. He's, he's taking aside. He's saying, yes, part of you are right in Corinth. Like you have a right, a Christian right to eat whatever you'd like. But in chapter 9, Paul doesn't change the subject, but he kind of transitions from their rights to his right. He's saying, I, I will admit, you have the right to do whatever you want. But in the same sense, I have the right as, as an apostle, as a minister, to be supported by you. And he gives examples. Um, when we're talking about rights, human rights, American rights, or like Christian rights, it's vitally important to understand that a right isn't whatever you want or what you, what you think you want. So... I don't have a right to someone else's money because I want it. <laughs> that's not how rights work. Uh, so that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 has to lay out his reasoning or his arguments for why he has this right. And he has human arguments and he has an argument from God. His human arguments are the, the soldier, farmer, shepherd. He says, a soldier fights. That, that's nothing wrong with that. But he deserves to get paid by whoever he's fighting for. You don't fight for nothing. Like, you have a, if you fight, you have a right to be paid for that. In the same way that a farmer, he uses the example of a vineyard, if you uh, grow crops, then you have a right to those crops, whether to eat them or if you're going to sell them. Like, you, you have a right to what you made, to what you worked for. And the shepherd, same way. If you have livestock, then you have a right to the results of that livestock, whether it's like the meat from the livestock, the milk from the livestock, or if you're going to sell it off, you have the right to the money to be compensated for that. That's a, that's a human right. We can all, I think, understand that. Uh, pretty easily, uh, but then he has argument from God, and this is pretty interesting. In Deuteronomy 25, 4, where he says, um, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, I've, I've actually, I think we went through this a few nights ago, or maybe, maybe just two Wednesdays ago, in the Bible study here, because we're going through Deuteronomy, or Exodus. I can't remember, there's so many different Bible studies, I don't remember which one. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting, because it's talking about an ox, but Paul applies it to himself. I think the reason is the actual law do not muzzle an ox while it's threshing out the grain is that if an animal, and in the same way that a farmer has a right to what he's, he's grown, to what he's, he's planted the ground and reaped, an animal, if it's like working, because before you had tractors, you had to use animals to like plow the field, and animals to thresh out the grain, that animal. Shouldn't starve to death? Like it has right to eat what is on the ground in front of it. That's why you don't muzzle an ox. If it's helping you get food, then it deserves part of the food too. That's that's right. But that's that's the law in Deuteronomy. But the principle is the soldier, farmer, shepherd, is that in the same way that an ox deserves food from the ground that it's working on, humans deserve a right from what they've been working on. They deserve the results of that, good or bad. We can apply this physically or, or spiritually. If you, if you work hard at your job, then you, you deserve to be paid. Like you are not working for volunteer work. Like you, you work at a job to get paid by your employer. In the same way, if, if you sow spiritually, God says like you will reap a harvest. Um, so God, uh, Paul has a, a human argument, an argument from God for why he, him as a minister should be supported. And it's pretty interesting because the church in Corinth, like, isn't greedy. Like, that's not the problem here, because it, seem, it seems from what Paul's writing that they're supporting all the apostles but him and Barnabas. He says you'll support the other apostles, you support James and John, Jesus' half-brothers, and you'll support Peter, but because me and Barnabas, like, we work for a living instead of just relying on you guys, you think we deserve nothing? Okay. <laughs> uh, hopefully I haven't lost any of you guys yet. So, Paul is saying, he's admitting to the church in Corinth that they have a right to do whatever they want. And he's saying that just in the same way that you have a Christian right, I have a Christian right too. We all got rights. But Paul, uh, we're, we're going to continue on in verse 15, Paul transitions from the right of a Christian to the responsibility of a Christian. In verse 15, Paul writes, um, but have I not used any of these rights, oh, I need glasses, And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. (laughs) Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, the first uh, 14 chapters, first 14 verses, I mean, um, Paul is, like, arguing pretty strongly and pretty harshly against the church in Corinth, saying, like, you haven't been supporting me, but I have the right. Like, I have the right to be supported by the local congregation, by the church. But... He says at the end, in verse his like conclusion to that first little argument, that even though I have the right, I give that up because I have a Christian responsibility. He says that it, he's not preaching the gospel just because like he wants to or he thinks it's fun. He had a conviction for well, Paul specifically had like an experience with Jesus who sent him specifically to go out into the world and preach. So. It wasn't like he was doing it voluntarily. He was called by God to go out into the world and preach. Um, so he had a responsibility to. And it didn't matter if he was being rewarded for it or not. So even though he had a right to the church's support, he had a responsibility to do what was right no matter what, whether he was supported or not. So that's interesting. Uh, Paul argues strongly for his right, and then he gives it up. He says, I have this right. And then he, he purposely says, like, I, I, I deserve this but I'm not going to take it from you guys. Um, Paul is called by God, compelled to preach, and it is his right to be supported. If he is not, he is still called to preach. Uh, I think uh, this applies to us today. I mean, it's easy to fall. I mean, this whole, 1 Corinthians 9 is not about like ministers like getting paid. I don't even think it's about that. Paul is, is arguing this as an example to say that even though you have a right as a Christian, and you do, have, you do have rights as a Christian, it is okay and even, like, preferable to give up those rights. That, that's why Paul gave an example of himself. Because it's easier to tell people to give up their rights. It's harder to have your own right and give that up. That's a lot harder. And that's where I said I think I need to personally repent, where sometimes I'm stubborn and not, I have, I have Christian, I have, like, rights as an American well we'll, well, we'll use um, Scott's example because I think it was, it was very relevant. The church in Corinth had an argument about meat sacrificed to idols, and Paul said, Look, guys, like, you have the right to eat whatever you want, but you shouldn't. See, even though you can eat whatever you want, you should give up that right because it's causing your brothers and sisters in the church to stumble. And so, Paul, uh, Scott used the example of, of masks last Sunday. He's like, As, as an American, uh, you have the freedom, like, not to wear a mask. Like no, one, like, no one can put a gun to your head and force you to wear a mask. That would be wrong on their part. You have the freedom not to wear it. But, as a Christian, in the same way the church in Corinth should give up their right, if it's causing brothers and sisters to stumble, if, if it's preventing you from preaching the gospel to someone else just because you're not wearing a mask, then give up the right. Like, wear the mask. It's not, it's not, that, not that vital. Um. That, that's what Paul's saying. That's just one example. I, I think of a lot of examples off the top of my head of, of rights that I personally lord over other people sometimes when it'd be better just to give it up. Not because I, I should, not because uh, it's good or beneficial for me, but because it's good and beneficial for the gospel and it would advance the kingdom if I would just stop being selfish. I would just give up what's, what's mine. So 1 Corinthians 9 teaches us that Yes, you do have rights as a Christian. So you have rights. It also teaches us that you have responsibilities. So Paul was called to go preach the gospel, and he says, whether I'm going to be supported by the church or whether I'm not going to be supported by the church, like, I'm just going to keep preaching because that's what I'm called to do. And if you're not going to support me, that's on you, but I need to fulfill my end of the bargain. But the thing that's this is the most difficult part, I think. Uh, not difficult to preach, but difficult, like, to, to apply to our own lives is when to claim our right and when to reject our right. Because uh, Paul says in, in verse 23, we're, we're going to stop at uh, verse 15, but as he continues in um, chapter 19, Paul says, like, to the Jew, I became a Jew, and to the Greek, I became a Greek. And he's saying, like, I, I changed my behavior and my lifestyle, not to compromise the gospel, but so that I could reach the gospel to, to everybody. So Paul changed, the gospel did not change. <laughs> That's important to understand. Um, but the reason why he changed, was he said in verse 23, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Now, The gospel, the blessing is eternal life because at the end of uh, chapter nine, Paul talks about running the race and how athletes run for a crown, but we run for an eternal crown. because We run for the eternal life that God grants us if we run the race truthfully and faithfully with him. So the question is, if we have rights, and God's telling us to give them up in some situations, how do we know when we're supposed to give up our right? And how do we are supposed to stand up for it? Because I think it's easy to go too extreme. I always talk about the, the, um, oh, I lost the word, the big little axe thing where it goes the pendulum, the pendulum, and the guy in the middle, and it cuts the guy in half. The people in general, and Christians especially, we go to too far extremes. And 1 Corinthians 9 is not saying to give up all your rights. And 1 Corinthians 9 is definitely not saying to keep all your rights. It's saying that sometimes it's more beneficial for the gospel to give up your rights. So how do we know when to claim it and when to reject them? I think the best example is Acts 16. You you can turn it if you want. I'm not going to read the story. I'm going to summarize it real quick for you. After the service, if you want to read Acts 16, I would encourage you to because it's a good example of, how Christians are supposed to use their rights in the world. Acts 16 is the, um, the famous story of Paul and Silas, and they get sent to prison and they sing in prison. That's, that's the, the middle part of the story. The first part of the story is that Paul and Silas go into Philippi, kind of like how Paul went into Corinth and founded the church. So Paul and Silas are in Philippi, and they're, they're preaching, preaching the word. And it causes some trouble, um, not because Paul and Silas are doing anything wrong, but because the people that are in Philippi um, start to lose some some money, (laughs) and uh, they're just disrupting um, their income. And so Paul and Silas are hated by the community for that. So some of the people in Philippi go to the authorities, and they tell them that Paul and Silas are trying to overthrow Caesar, which that's a big no-no to Rome. So the authorities pick up, like they seize Paul and Silas, they humiliate them, like, in front, of, uh, in front of, like, the whole community, and they flog them. So they, like, they whip them on their backs. It's, like, pretty, pretty violent, pretty rough. And they um, put them in the stocks. So it's like you have a, a huge rock, and you're kind of, like, chained up like that for, like, days. So you can't, like, really move. It's very uncomfortable, especially after your back was just whipped. And the interesting about this is that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, and you could not do this to a Roman citizen. It's kind of like, oh, this is, okay, this is maybe a bad example. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say that. But um, you, you, Paul and Silas could have gotten out of this punishment if they would have just claimed their right as a Roman citizen. So when you're reading the story, you have in your back of your mind, like, why are they going through this? Like, if, if it was me in this situation, I'd say, like, oh, I'm a Roman. I'm a Roman. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to put in jail. Like, I'll just leave. Like, I'm a Roman citizen. Or we'd say, like, I'm an American citizen. You can't do that to me. I'm American. I have my rights. But Paul and Silas don't. And the middle part of the story, which everyone knows, they're in jail, and Paul and Silas in the middle of the night start singing, and a miraculous thing happens, and God sends an earthquake. It destroys the whole jail, but no no one's hurt, no one's killed, and all the prisoners are freed. And maybe even more miraculous than that, instead of running away, they all stay there with, with Paul and Silas. The next morning, uh, the jailer comes, and like long story short, long story short, um, the jailer and his whole household is converted to Christianity, and they start praising and worshiping God too. And when the authorities that jailed and flogged and humiliated Paul and Silas find out what happened, they try to kick them out of town. They can like, cause they want to, they want to shut them up, so they try to get them to leave. And at this point, after after all this has happened, this is when Paul and Silas claim to be Roman citizens. They're like you can't silence me, you can't kick me out, I'm a Roman. And then the authorities get really scared because they realize that they had just whipped and jailed a Roman citizen, which was a capital punishment. You, you could be killed for that. So now the authorities are really scared. And so the question we have in Acts 16 is, what, what was their reasoning? Why did they not claim their rights and get whipped and jailed? But then at the end, after they were told they could leave, then they do claim their rights. And the answer is the, the advancement of the gospel. Paul and Silas knew that suffering for Christ, is, is that, that's a noble thing. And I don't think they knew exactly how God was gonna work through what he was doing in their situation, but they knew that if they claimed to be Roman citizens just to avoid punishment, then that, that wasn't a, a righteous thing to do. And so they endured their punishment and God did miraculous things in their lives. But then when they're silenced and they tried to keep, get kicked out, Paul and Silas claimed their rights as Roman citizens to protect the church in Philippi. They're pretty much saying, if you, if you kick us out now, we're going to claim our Roman citizenship and we're going to have you killed. So when we do leave, you better leave the church in Philippi alone, because if you don't, Paul and Silas are going to come back and we're going to claim our Roman citizenship and you're all going to die. So they're protecting the church in Philippi. I mean, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool background of the story. But the reason why it's important is because it gives us an example, like an earthly example Of of two guys who gave up their right for the gospel and claimed their right for the gospel, and it wasn't for their own benefit. And it gives us an example to look at and to model our own lives after. Pretty cool. Scott might be mad at me for this last part. Um, I mean, next thing we're going through 1 Corinthians 10, and that's kind of the the finale of Paul's argument about Christian rights. But I'm going to steal the. I mean, because it's so cool. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 31 and 32, Paul summarizes what we should do with our Christian rites. He says, so whether you eat or drink, because remember the argument that started out is eating meat sacrificed to sacrifice the idols. So whether you eat the meat or don't eat the meat, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God. That's Paul's summary. So if you're going to claim your right, then make sure it's for the glory of God. And if you're going to give up your right, then make sure it's for the glory of God. <laughs> I think, I can think of, especially when it comes, like, when it's taxes and it's time to do taxes. Sometimes people claim stuff or decide to leave stuff out, and it's not for, like, God's glory. It's not for anyone, anyone's glory. It's to save money. And I think Christians do that not just with taxes, but, like, in general in their lives. They'll do things or not do things not because it'll advance the gospel because it'll benefit benefit them, and that's not what we're called to do as Christians in closing uh yeah i we're almost done <laughs> uh, um, there's a, there's a guy uh he's a famous guy his name is Richard Dawkins, and he would debate Christians I love watching like debates because I just think they're interesting, and he had this like this one liner he had this thing that would always cause. Christian, he was debating to stumble and like trip over themselves, and it was like it was his left hook. It was that what he used to knock out a lot of Christians, and it worked. Um, he would ask them, What can a Christian do that I can't do? What can a Christian do? Because Richard of Dawkins is an atheist. He's not a believer in, in, well, he's not a believer in the Christian God at the very least. And so he would ask the Christian, like, What is it that you can do that I can't do, and why, why should I be a Christian? pretty much, I think is what it's summated to. And that would always cause the Christian to stumble. And so I'd like you to think for a second about what your answer would be to someone who asks you that. Like, what can a Christian do that a non-Christian can't do? I think the answer is found in um, the Gospels where Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. And he tells them, first and foremost, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the summation of all the law and prophets. But second, love your neighbor as yourself. And these two, there's a first, there's a most important, but second important is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's important to know there's two, two, but one's more important than the other. What, what does it have to do with Richard Dawkins' question? And what does it have to do with rights? <laughs> I'm not going on a rapid trail, I promise. It just takes a while to leap back in. Um, the world wants to take the second commandment and throw out the first one. I, any, any reasonable human could, could get behind the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, but the world doesn't want to love the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so the, the world, our culture's idea of a perfect world is everyone having their rights fulfilled. You and your neighbor having all of your rights met. So everyone has clean water, everyone has uh, their property, no one's being like harassed. No one's being stolen from. No one's being murdered. That's the world's idea of a perfect world. But God's idea of a perfect world takes the first thing and it puts it first. And it says, in God's perfect world, in God's kingdom coming to earth, everyone will have their rights met. Like everyone that needs clean water will have clean water. But it's not because they'll just automatically have it. It's because Christians are gonna give up what they have to help other people. In a God's perfect world, what you don't have, I'll provide. And what I don't have, someone else will provide. And we all build up each other. The church builds up each other, and we become what God intended us to be, the kingdom of God, heaven and earth united. So um, here's my, my one-liner. <laughs> here's my closer. Here's my, here's my closer. Um, at the end of the day, like when, it, when everything is said and done, and you've claimed your rights and you've given up your rights, if, if all you have left is Christ, there's a famous song where it says, uh, like, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. And some people, it, it's literal, it's not metaphorical. Some people give up, like, their time and their money and their property. And s- some people take the ultimate call and give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. So some people really do give up everything and all they have left is Christ. And I think we can praise God that you have everything you need <laughs> if you have the gospel and you have Christ. So this morning, I pray that um, we would have discernment so we would know what God's word says and we can apply it to our lives and we can better understand when to claim our rights and when to give up our rights so that we can advance the the kingdom of God and we can bring heaven to earth like we prayed in the Lord's Prayer this morning. So with that being said, I pray that um, you'd close your eyes and go with me to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Oops, sorry. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that you would help us to be to not just not selfish, but help us to be selfless, so that whether we claim our right or whether we give up our right, it would be because that we have you on our minds and on our hearts, and that all of our actions would be dictated by loving you first and then loving our neighbor second. Lord, I think the church would be, I think Christianity would be changed if. Christians lived out a fulfilling life dedicated to, to serving you and to serving the people that you love. God, I pray that, um, <laughs> that you would give us the strength to do the things that I talked about this morning because I don't think uh, we can do it by ourselves. I pray for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as I already said earlier, I pray for discernment for, for me and for all of West, the Wesleyan Church, Hilltop Wesleyan Church especially, that we could have the discernment to to look at your word and to be able to apply it to the situations that we come day after day and that we'd be able to know right from wrong and we'd be able to know how to use our rights to advance your kingdom. Lord, I pray for the strength to be able to not only know what's right and what's wrong, but to be able to constantly uh, do it, to to know what's right and to do what's right. And Lord, I pray for endurance. (laughs) At the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 9, you inspired Paul to write about running the race. And I pray that every, all the Christians here this morning, everyone within the sound of my voice, would be able to have the endurance that your Holy Spirit gives us and continue to run the race until the day we die, whether that be soon or late. Lord, I pray that we would always have in our minds the blessing that the gospel grants us, that you came and died for us, and that you rose again. And if we died ourselves, and follow you and pick up our crosses, that we'll rise with you as well. This morning, I pray that you would, you would just bless everyone here in this room. You would bless us if we go out into work or vacation or whatever we're doing after, after church. Because Lord, um, church doesn't end when the door is closed and locked. It ends when you come in your second coming and take up your church. And until that day, I pray that we truly would be a church that's dedicated to following you. It's in your name I pray these things, Lord Jesus, amen.